Welcome back to Life at Hobridge School, the podcast where we speak to pupils, to staff and to parents to find out what it's really like. In every episode, we'll be talking to members of the school community to hear real stories of life in the school. So let's get into this episode looking at life at Hobridge School. Well, today I am joined by Ellie and Tom Nation. Welcome. Now, just tell us, where are you currently at the moment? Kia ora. We are currently in Wellington in New Zealand. Fantastic. And so probably people listening are thinking, Wellington, New Zealand, Hobridge in England. How do those two things connect? So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you ended up coming to Hobridge? Ellie, do you want to start off and telling us what brought you to England in the first place? Sure. My family is from England and Scotland and we travelled over there as uh, little kids And I think my dad was talking to his bank manager who had a son that had done a gap year and that was how we heard about it. And then my parents were very keen for me to sign up and I think I was maybe a little bit less keen and uh, I think I actually got rejected the first time round. So it was very lucky that I got through and um, lucked out with the Highbridge School placement as well. Okay, right. So we'll we'll find out a little bit more about uh, what you found when you arrived. And Tom, what about you? Yeah, so for me, it was more, I went to a school in Christchurch in New Zealand where we had GAP students from England. And so I remember them quite fondly just sort of driving around in a car, hanging out, going on holidays. They must have been 17, 18 or something like that. And so I would have been 12 or 13 years old thinking, man, that looks cool. I want to do that when I finish school. So that's kind of how it started. So even a year before I left school, I kind of knew that that was something I wanted to do. And kind of, I worked a job to try and save up to pay for it. And yeah, managed to get through the process. And and that was that. It was always part of my plan. And it was, you know, lucky it worked out. Sounds amazing. So 2005 sees you in England. And what actually is involved in being a gapper um, at a school? Well, you help out the teachers in various classes. You kind of help some of the kids who maybe might be struggling with their basic maths, although we weren't much better. I remember doing a lot of laminating at the pre-prep school and a lot of lunchtime hosting on tables and being one of the people that made sure the kids ate what they were supposed to eat. Sports, coaching, just kind of being a general dog's body, really, but in a, in a lovely way. And so, Ellie, you sort of said that you were a little bit reluctant to apply for this, and obviously you did it twice. So how did the role there sort of begin to match up to what you had been thinking about coming over this far, sort of the other side of the world? I think as soon as I got on the plane, I realised, oh, actually, I get to be by myself and I'm free and I can go and travel and this is really exciting. So I think... My poor parents had been trying to convince me to do it and I didn't see the light until I was on the plane. Um, And then once we got there, we spent three days in Reading where all of the GAP students converged from Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. And then once we got there, we found out which schools we were going to and we sort of found out other GAPers who were going to the same schools. So it was quite exciting. You didn't have the full story until you got to Reading and then you could really understand what was going to happen next. Oh my goodness, I didn't realise it was sort of, as, it feels a bit like a potluck. Well, I think we can take one thing from that. Always listen to your parents, children. So Tom, here you are, you've arrived in Reading, you find out you're off to Hobridge. What was it like for you leaving home and travelling around the other side of the world? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think there were, you know, you met a few people on the plane who were in a similar boat. So immediately you were kind of, you know, it, it quashes any you know, apprehension you might have, but I think I was ready for it personally. You know, I, I needed to get out of home. I was ready to go do something else. 
yes, traveling over, you know, the other side of the world's a big step, but we had been in communication with each other and the school a little bit prior to that. So it was sort of, I don't know, you kind of, you knew you had some support on the other side and it was more excitement for me, to be honest. We were in email contact, but of course this is before Facebook and before you could like stalk each other on social media and figure out who the other people were. So we'd emailed a few times and we had the email address for Highbridge, but we hadn't seen what we looked like and Mm. it was, yeah. And so we sort of bumped into each other in, in Reading. You know, there were four of us. And uh, yeah, so that was quite exciting. And then jumped in the vehicle and, and got dropped off at, at, at the school one weekend. What was it like when you stood at the end of the drive? What did you think? Yeah, Graham, the deputy headmaster at the time, just said, OK, we'll see you on Monday. And of course, we were 18, hadn't really been out of home before, in a new country, in a new house with new people, thinking, all right, well, you know, it was actually quite daunting, but it didn't take long before you kind of settled in and... I think that was the point. I think that's what they did that on purpose to, you know, to kind of allow you to to find the ropes and and to do that together. So, yeah, no, it was cool. Really, really good. Sounds amazing. I mean, that's a good actually thought about sort of the idea, because obviously this is about you having some independence as well and having a job and taking responsibility. So you lived in the school. So what was the accommodation like and how were you part of the school community? The two guide gap students, we lived in the lodge, you know, right next to the entrance there. In the, in the old little gatehouse so we had our own little house little two bed two bedroom two story kind of thing and that was ours you know that was ours for the year we could do with it how we wanted which was really cool drew on the walls immediately yeah 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 which we painted over before we left but oh, um, okay right i love it <laughs> marking your territory then sorting it out later it was a bit traditional i think as well i think you know the previous gap students had been in there and left their mark a bit and left us some things and yeah, so that was quite cool. And, the, you know, you guys were somewhere different, weren't you? you were... Yeah, the girls had a, a room with an ensuite in the bowels of the school. So we were sort of separate and we didn't have a house, but we quickly made our mark on, literally made our mark on the boys' house. And we spent most of our time up there on our breaks and hanging out as a, as a group. So it was really just where, where we slept was slightly different. Okay. And how did you cope looking after yourselves? Or if this is the first time that for both of you done this? Yeah, it was, um, I don't know. I guess we just sort of did it. I remember you, you, you're fed there as well, of course. So you sort of uh, rely on the lunches, which is great. And then, you know, the cooks and the chef, they looked after you as well. But um, you had free reign to all of that, you know, the big walk-in fridge and all the pantry and the rest of it. So, you know, you weren't going to starve. And and people quickly took you under their wing as well. Some of the younger staff members, you know, looked after you, took you to the pub and, you know, those kind of things, which is really good. So I, it didn't take too long. You know, you were, you were looking after yourself in a way, but, you know, we weren't paid a, a great deal of money. So we weren't expected to you know do our own shopping and you know pay rent and mortgages and power and all those you know those good things so we 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 were still looked after you know quite a lot so it was a nice kind of stepping you know nice bridge between actual you know leaving home and and having to fend for yourself completely it was a real safe way to be independent that the school and the staff were taking care of you but at the same time you were sort of on your own but you also had the others that were having the same experience and in hindsight us having access to the walk-in fridge with sort of unlimited food I think perhaps we would have made some different choices about what we cooked (laughs) Um, (laughs) shattered it a bit more 
But um, going from our families straight into that environment, you don't really appreciate it. Gosh, yes. I hadn't thought about the, uh, actually, because also you are being looked after in some ways. You're sort of, you're the grown up children, aren't you, in the thing. But then also it must have been like stepping through, you know, like the looking glass when Alistair suddenly seeing the other side. So what were some of the things that struck you that, you know, you've suddenly just been a pupil and now you're on the teaching staff. What were some of the things that first, you know, hit you on that as you walk through? I think I think immediately you realise that the teachers, you know, they're not too dissimilar to you at all. You know, like when you get to when you're allowed to be on the other side, they were just as funny and um, you know up for a bit of mischief. And you know, it was it was really good. You know, they're just you know they're a little bit older than you, obviously. But I remember thinking, yeah, immediately kind of disarmed by them, and you know that you were one of them pretty quickly, which was cool actually. Yeah, I remember distinctly remember walking through and being in the staff room and feeling like I shouldn't be in there because we'd just come out of school and that's not where you went as a student. That once you were in the staff room, they're all playing pranks on each other and having fun and, you know, and they're friends and they're just people. Um, that mystique about teachers sort of disappeared pretty quickly. Oh, no. It's all suddenly revealed to you and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so for the two of you, what did you enjoy most about the time? What what was sort of some of the things that if you were kind of taking a step back and looking back, what did you really love about being part of Hobridge and being at the school? I really loved working in the pre-prep. I remember when I first got there, the teachers were quite proud of the displays on the walls of the children's work, and there were certain ways that you did that and they were quite, they sort of dictated how exactly that had to be done. And then by the end of the year, they just said, there's a blank wall over there, just go for it. So being able to kind of be a bit artistic and work with the little kids who were super cute and, you know, be trusted in that way was really lovely. Yeah, and I think for me, we just, um, the two guys, we got heavily involved in the sports side of things, which is great. It suited me. I was into cricket and rugby and things like that, you know, prior to going to Hobridge. And I think one thing that was good is that the children were, I think maximum age was about 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. So you, you still were quite, you know, you had a lot to offer and um, they did look up to you, which was really good. I mean, my, my brother actually did a gap year the year after me and he had 18 year olds he was looking after. So he was only wow. sort of six months a year older, which is completely different vibe. So I think for us being that kind of mentor and being able to, you know, teach kids and come over and, you know, play rugby with them and cricket and, you know, go on, we went on a few sports trips with them as well with the, with the staff, which is really great. So, yeah, and, and we, we had quite a fond relationship with the groundsman of the time, a guy called Jeff. I don't know if, whether he's still there, but we used to have some great fun with him, you know, going out and maintaining the grounds. Well, I say maintaining the grounds, we were just causing mischief, causing mischief together and hanging out for the afternoons, which is great, you know, and that, and that was a real highlight for us. You know, we had a really good time with him. And There were a lot of events at the school as well. We were talking before, mm-hmm. um, reminiscing about, there was a fundraiser event where traditionally the GAP students were the bartenders and they had ran an auction and it was, the parents would come, even would be dressed up and it was in the school um, one evening and just how much fun we had doing that and giving out the wrong change and you know giving out drinks and having one for ourselves as well and just being part of it and it was lots of fun I love the fact that one of your memories is about you're like one drink for you one drink for me <laughs> and I like, oh, what a great bar group so the two of you I mean obviously very excitingly you eventually ended up as a couple and got married which I think is sort of you know I've met many gap students in my life and that has never happened to any of them so how tell us how this um when did this happen well Tom when we were looking over the questions Tom said oh it sort of happened throughout the year 
I remember being in Reading, so those first three days, and oh. noticing him, and then I think we were there for the 4th of January, and I think by about the 15th of January we were a bit of an item, and we thought we were really clever and secretive about it, and nobody figured it out, but I think probably a lot of people had worked it out. And we were just good friends, really, and obviously it's nearly 17 years later now, and Dan, one of the other GAP students, came to our wedding. Tom did a great speech about um, how Dan originally was a bit disapproving and thought we were going to ruin our gap year and um, that we were able to invite him to our wedding and give him a bit of grief about that was quite nice. <laughs> and so who was the one who made the first move or was it was it a mutual? It's, it's a good question. <laughs> we went to London and I think we were just flirting and I don't know, it sort of went from there really. Mm. Okay, I love it. So, and when you returned, where, where did you both go to university after you'd finished your time? What did you do after Hobridge? Yeah, we went to Canterbury University in Christchurch in the South Island. So, um, Ellie moved, effectively moved from Wellington because she's from Wellington originally to Christchurch. And so we flattered down there with some friends and, and continued on. And we were down there for four, four years, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then we actually moved back to Wellington for work. So yeah, we just carried on how we left off. I mean, obviously coming home after a year like that, it was all a bit, not a fairy tale, but it was completely different coming back home. And mm. you'd had this kind of awesome year in a, in a relationship over there. So we sort of had to figure it out when we come, you know, when we came back, what we each wanted to do. But to be honest, we didn't really know anyway, you know, so we just sort of worked it out together, which was cool. And we've been working it out together. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it, Ellie. And so what are you both doing now? So you said you mentioned that you've moved back to Wellington and jobs and different things like that. So where is life taking you now? Well, we got married and we've had two little kids. We've got two daughters. Um, Florence is two and a half and Susie is just over one. And uh, I work for the local government. Um, I manage a team of service designers, uh, which is really interesting. What is a service designer, Ellie? Well, I guess when you think of um, a customer service, like visiting a pool, um, all the processes and all the um, decisions that are made and how you experience that service is service design. So thinking about user experience, thinking about how someone might interact with customer service people and what kind of experience they might want to have and so my job is doing that within the local council and of course with council there's always areas of improvement and services that can be better so I've got lots of work on. It's really nice working in an environment in the council where the changes that you make are quite close to what you experience yourself and living in the city so that's quite satisfying and that that is very and what did you study at university then that did that lead into service design no i did a degree in mass communications which again was marketing and things but pre-social media so i'm sure lots of it isn't that relevant anymore but um university for me was really about critical thinking and um how to write well and um building on the experience of what we learned over overseas and yeah being able to communicate well that's probably the the crux of any job that I've had really and the crux is sort of much of university preparation as well and so Tom what about you what are you involved in in Wellington yeah so I studied geography at university and, and came out with a geography degree but I focused on GIS which is geographical information systems which is sort of mapping on the computer you know data analysis and that kind of thing so um, I've worked for a few different places, but at the moment I um, am a director with three others and we sort of have our own little environmental consultancy. We sort of got people in Wellington and in Christchurch. And so we, we all used to work for a big corporate company and then we decided we'd had enough of that and we teamed up and, and took some of our existing clients and um, we still work for them now, which is really good. So 
um, that's been fantastic for me in terms of flexibility and uh, and variety in my work. So I work with um, you know water resource scientists and ecologists, contaminated land experts. So we get involved in a huge range of work in that consulting space. So it's been really good, actually. And is much of your work based in New Zealand or do you work globally as well with your consulting? Yeah, it's all, it's all New Zealand based. So we're f- primarily focused on the environmental industry here in New Zealand. So local and regional government work, you know, regional governments will go through changes where they need to make changes to water, water resources, you know, how much water people can take, the quality of the drinking water, you know, that kind of thing. And so the work we do kind of helps to inform Policy and legislation changes. Yeah, yeah. So mainly New Zealand, which is which is actually good because the kind of clients we work for are, are smaller and quite passionate about you know our our environment and and so are we. So it's um it works well for us. And and I think that's really important. Is that we doing something that you believe in, isn't it? For many people, is such a sort of important you know driving factor. So for the two of you, obviously, gap year was a success. You know, there you were in England, you met one another. So would you recommend a gap year to other people? I mean, you mentioned, Tom, that your brother had also taken a gap year as well. What would you say to people who are thinking about it or young people today? Absolutely recommend it. It's it's a, a life-shaping experience you get um, all sorts of confidence and contacts. And um, it feels like such a significant thing when you are 17, 18, that it's a whole year. But looking back on it, we were talking about this before, a year is nothing really in the scheme of things and if it means that you get space to decide what you want to focus on and you don't jump straight into university and you get so many cool experiences, it's definitely something we would recommend. Mm, I think I think if you're thinking about it, you should definitely do it. You know, I think that's the kind of way I think. If you've sort of got a half thought or you think it might be interesting, absolutely is. And uh, so I've got two brothers, one of them did it. And my other brother's been overseas for years. He's a professional mountain biker, so he's he's still, he's overseas currently, actually. Yeah, everyone I know who's done one has come out the other side better off in, in some respect, I think. Particularly when you go to university, you've got a whole range of life skills that your peers haven't learned yet. And it, people catch up, but I think that that puts you in good stead and your, your confidence... Um, moving into adulthood, you know, when you're sort of 19 back at, back in your home country is um, pretty invaluable, really. So, yeah. And it also meant that when we went back to travel again, we were much more confident and we went and revisited some places and we actually came back to Highbridge, I think, about eight years on and bumped into some of the teachers and it was really cool for us to come and revisit some of the spots that we really enjoyed the first time around um, as young adults. Um, and, and going back and visiting people that we'd met the first time, that was really great. Did it did it feel different being there or that much older? Or how did it feel when you were sort of returned to Hoe Bridge and you looked around the place? There were a lot of familiar faces. And eight years on, that's not insignificant. And I think we bumped into Miss Thornton Pickering and she said, you guys look exactly the same, which we took as <laughs> But yeah, it was it's strange for us to think that the children that we looked after, even the youngest children that we looked after, have now finished university and might be parents themselves. It's pretty crazy to think that we're old. <laughs> well, I'm sure there are probably people who, you know, exactly as you said, the pre-prep who looked up at you and thought you were these adults and there were you thinking, I'm just a child. I mean, as you look back over that year and you think about, I mean, you know, how much growing up do you think you did in your gap year? A lot. I think what Tom said before you come home and you're kind of miles ahead of people. You worry before you go that you're going to be a year behind with university. Everyone's going to university and you're going to be a year behind. But actually you come back much more self-assured and 
you've lived on your own and you've made you've had some experiences like we lost our passports in Barcelona and that was very freaky at the time but no one had a story like that when we came home they were still a lot of them were still living at home and doing the same thing they'd been doing for the the last 18 years so mm, and I, and I think now particularly in our lines of work you know our technical skills are, you know are relevant and, and that's you know important but our kind of you know our soft skills our communication our you know how we relate to people that that kind of element we we learned that over there you know we, we you get such a good head start in that and now that's all that our job's about really like yes i know how to do a few technical things but it's all about relationship management people management you know time management all of those kind of skills you learn so quickly and um and i think yeah a huge sort of foundation you know was 2005 for us at Hobridge and just confidence as well I think you have to rely on yourself in a way that you don't back home and you're in a completely new environment so you learn to rely on yourself in different situations and that's invaluable when you go home as well thank you for sort of sharing what you see as the benefits and how much it changed you as well so before I let you go if you had to choose your best memory from a year at Hobridge what would it be it's a really hard question we um we thought about that. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of holes in our memory because it was a long time ago, but also there's a whole lot of things that we remember. But there's also a lot of things we remember we probably shouldn't talk about on a podcast. So Right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll hold you to the uh, what you can remember <laughs> in a positive way, Ellie. Yeah. We, one of my um, things was, this is going to sound really silly, but um, we really enjoyed the food in that uh, we had a relationship, I think it was Nick, the chef at the time, and he thought we were hilarious in the kind of disasters we would have or I would have in the kitchen. We sat down to eat with the children every lunchtime and enjoyed their funny little conversations. I really enjoyed the uh, big box of Kit Kats that were supposed to be prizes for the kids after soccer, and they ended up having to hide them because I'd eaten so many. And there was the Harvest Festival and... There was a lot of things that stick out to me in terms of um, sharing food, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of connections around that that I remember. Well, I think food is an important, you know, it unites people, doesn't it? You know, gather around the table. And I think it's a lovely idea, isn't it, of you sitting with the children and actually having that connecting time with them. It's such an important part of the day and particularly for them as well. Thank you, Ellie. What about you, Tom? My memory is pretty poor, to be honest, and and, uh, it's all coming flooding back, but um, yeah, we had, and we reflected on it before, how many, you know, things have happened in the last year or two. You know, you've got a few memories here and there. but Like I've, having kids, just a few yeah, memories. Yeah. That's just, yeah. But <laughs> that, that year was, was crammed full of memories. But I, I might as well just add to what we talked about before, losing our passport. So that was a pretty stressful time for Dan and I. We, we couldn't get back and we had to travel from Barcelona to Madrid on a bus. We had no money, didn't have any passport. It was a lot of things we had to go through at, you know, 18 years old. We, it was a long weekend where we were, so we had to, um, you know, hunker down somewhere in Madrid for, you know, three or four extra days. But I still remember get, getting home, getting back to the lodge at Hobridge, and the door opened and the girls were there. And I can't remember, someone else might have been there, but just the relief to be back, you know. And that wasn't back in New Zealand at home. It was just back in our little piece of the world in, in Hobridge. Um, that was home already, right? Yeah, that was that was home. So I, I still remember that vividly. And then, you know, obviously appreciating being there from then on, you know, not being stuck in Spain. But um, 
We got to do lots of travel um, with the half term and um, the holidays. We got to do a lot of babysitting, which helped to finance that. We always went different places. Um, we got to visit some of the other GAP students that have been placed around the UK um, and see what their schools were like. And I think we really lucked out with Highbridge. The hours we worked, the kind of work we did, the kind of people we were around were really optimal for having experiences outside of just working at the school, where I know other GAP students perhaps were working in boarding schools and they got maybe one weekend off a month. So we were very lucky, I think. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Ellie and Tom. Thank you for sharing your special ending to your Hobridge story and for just sharing with us everything that happened as well. And I'm so glad that your parents probably didn't know about you losing your passport at the time. Um, but that you've both got back safely and all the stuff that's happened since. So it's been a pleasure to meet you both this, uh, well, this morning for me, this evening for you. Thank you, Arabella. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this episode. To find out more, check out the school website, hobridgeschool.co.uk. Now, the next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.